Heavenly Father, we know that you're a God of unfailing love. And so we ask that even now you would shower us with your unfailing love. Come to us now, O Lord, as we study your word. Speak to our hearts and help us to live for your glory. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Amos, and Amos was a prophet who was speaking to the kingdom of Israel about the various sins that they have been committing, particularly their oppression of those who are vulnerable. And here in chapter 4, particularly verses 6 through to uh, 11, we see that God speaks through Amos and tells the Israelites about the punishments that he has brought upon them. There's different punishments that he has brought again and again upon the people of Israel. Firstly, if you look with me now at Amos chapter 4, page 907, we see in verse 6 that he's held back food from the people of Israel. He sent famine to Israel. It says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. It's interesting the way that the Hebrew actually reads there in verse 6. It's literally in the beginning of verse 6 that he gave them cleanness of teeth. You can actually see an NIV footnote there. It says, I gave you empty stomachs. There's a little letter D, drop down to the bottom margin. It says cleanness of teeth. Uh, There's one way to get really clean teeth. You don't eat. And that's what God is saying here. I gave you cleanness of teeth by withholding food from you. And God has not just withheld food from them, he's also withheld rain, he's held back water. We see that in verse 7. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. The time when you really need rain before the harvest, you planted the seed, you need rain to come down so the crops will grow and then you can harvest them in three months' time. What does God do? No water. And so that people actually stagger, it says in verse 8, from town to town for water but did not get enough to drink. And we see that he destroys the crops uh, with uh, blight and mildew. It says in verse 9, he struck the gardens and vineyards with blight and mildew, and he even sent locusts to devour what has grown. In verse 9, it says, locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. And then in verse 10, it says that God has actually sent plagues at Egyptian proportions. The Egyptian plagues were very famous in Israelite history because that is how God brought Israel out of Egypt with the ten plagues of Egypt. And there in verse 10 it says, I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. At least a reference to the locusts that have been referenced earlier. God sent locusts to the Egyptians to devour their uh, crops and their trees. And here he has done it to the Israelites. And he's also killed people with war. Verse 10, it says, I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Interesting allusion there to the sign of war is the smell of rotting bodies. And you hear about this with, I remember in history in high school, hearing about no man's land in the the world wars and how there'd be this area where people were killed by machine guns and their bodies would just rot in the middle there and the stench that would come from the trench warfare. That is what is being alluded to here in verse uh, verse 10, that he fills the not, their nostrils, the Israelites, with the stench of their camps. That there's basically people dying or they're injured in such a way that gangrene is spreading throughout their bodies and there's that smell of war, rotting flesh in the Israelite community. And then we see that he even starts to say that he is overthrowing them 
with the same sorts of punishment that he overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 11. Sodom and Gomorrah were the terrible cities in the Old Testament that were punished by God because of their wickedness. And here God is saying, I'm punishing you with the same kind of punishment that I punished Sodom and Gomorrah. But what was the purpose of all this punishment? We've seen all these different ways that God has punished the Israelites with famine, with drought, with destruction of their crops, with plagues like the Egyptians, with war, with punishment that was similar to what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Why does God do it? Well, it's so that Israel would return to him. We see that again and again throughout this as the plagues are are listed, the punishments of God are listed. What does it say at the end of verse 6? Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. And then at the end of verse 8, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 9, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. And verse 11, Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. What is God doing by sending these punishments? To turn the people back to himself. He wants the people to turn to him. And what have they done as the punishments have come through for their sin? They have not returned. Again and again, it doesn't matter how much pain they go through, they will not return to God. So what is God going to do? Well, we see in verse... 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. God's patience only lasts so long. Eventually, the Israelites will have to meet him. And he says, be prepared. You're going to meet me. Now the question is, can God actually force them to meet him? Well, Amos says, yes. What does he say about God in the very next verse? After God has said, prepare to meet me, What does he say about God? Verse 13. He who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. This is who has said, prepare to meet you. If he forms the mountains... If he is the one who is the Lord Almighty, literally Lord of hosts, Lord of heavenly armies, if he is the one who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth, then he can compel, compel people to meet him if he wants to. He can send warning after warning with different punishments, but eventually he can compel people to meet him. And so this is good for us to see, that God can send punishment after punishment to people and he will eventually compel them to meet him. It's good for us to learn that God punishes people as a parent punishing a child, that he will increase even the level of the punishments as the child continues to be stubborn and doesn't listen at first to mum's command. Mum says, watch it and then increases the punishments as the child doesn't watch it, doesn't do right, that is what God does to humanity. He increases the punishment on them. Now, this is something that is hard for us to understand at times because not all punishment, not all pain, I should say, not all pain that comes upon us is necessarily a punishment from God. We can suffer in an innocent way in this world. The book of Job is given to us by God to illustrate this. And Jesus, when he speaks to his apostles about a man who was born blind, and they ask, 
whose sin is responsible for this man's blindness? Is it his parents or is it his own sin that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. We've got to be careful about saying that all pain from God is because of a particular sin. But we should also not swing to the opposite. Uh, we, should, we should be careful that we don't go to the opposite and say that there is no pain, that God never sends pain because of our sin. We can say, yes, sometimes we suffer innocently, but that doesn't mean that all in our suffering we experience is innocent suffering. There is pain that God sends us because of particular sin. Sometimes it's very obvious. If you rob a bank and you get injured, it's quite related to your sin. You can see the link there. Someone was recently telling me about the security screens that they have at banks where they fly up immediately as soon as a button is pressed and how someone was robbing a bank and got caught on one, stood over the top of it and got squished up against the roof. Now, that was probably a fair bit of pain for that person. Now, why were they experiencing that pain? Because of sin. Because of their sin, they were experiencing pain. Now, sometimes the link is not that obvious. Some of these plagues that were coming through the Israelite towns, they can't necessarily go, oh, are we experiencing drought because of our sin or are we just experiencing drought even though we're innocent? What is the reason for the drought? And so it's a good reminder here to see that God does send drought, God does send pain into our lives because of sin. So that when we experience pain in our lives, it causes us to seek God, to examine our lives and see whether we are doing wrong, whether we have drifted away from God and he is encouraging us to return to him and he's using a stick to do it. He's punishing us so that we will return to him. Whenever we feel significant pain, we should be asking, am I caught in an unrepentant sin? Is there something in my life that is leading God to bring this pain into my life? Have I been drifting into sin without realising it? And God is trying to get my attention about that sin by chastising me. Now, you may be saying, but how do I examine my life? If I'm experiencing life troubles, if I'm experiencing some sort of pain or suffering, how do I examine my life to see if there's some sort of unrepentant sin that I need to turn to God about? Well, that's where we've got two commandments that are very helpful at illustrating sin in our lives. The Lord Jesus says that the whole of God's law can be summed up with two commandments, love God and love your neighbour. And so if you're experiencing some sort of life crisis, if you're experiencing some sort of pain, something's not going the way you think it should go, it's good to ask, am I worshipping God as I should? Am I loving God as I should be? Am I attending services to worship God, to sing his praises, to pray to him, to hear the preaching of his word, to attend to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper? Have I neglected those things? And so I'm not loving God as I should. Have, am I giving time and money to the Lord's work, to his kingdom? Am I praying privately as I should be? Am I reading my Bible as I should be? Have I begun to worship an idol of my heart instead of worshipping God? And so because I've not been doing those things that I should be doing, because I haven't been worshipping God rightly, has God started to bring pain into my life? 
And then as you look at not just your love for God, you look at your neighbour and the way that you're treating that person. It's good to ask, have I been treating my neighbours as I should? And so has God brought pain into my life because I'm not speaking to them as I should, because I'm not treating my neighbour as I should? There are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Have I been actively doing wrong against the people in my life or have I been avoiding doing the right thing for people that are in my life? And so God has sent pain into my life because I'm not loving my neighbour as I should. Now, if you examine your life, you've seen pain in your life, you examine your life by looking at, am I loving God and am I loving my neighbour as I should, and then you find that there is unrepentant sin, what do you do? Well, you repent. You stop doing the wrong thing. You ask Jesus for forgiveness. You say, I'm very sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me through your death at the cross. And then you start to do right. Repentance isn't just stopping doing wrong. It's starting to do right, to love God and love your neighbour as you should. That's what repentance is. That is what it means to return to God. You don't just turn, you return to God when we find sin in our lives. But why would you bother doing so? Well, God may just turn up the level of pain if you do not repent. If you think that your life is pretty bad at the moment, but you think, oh, I don't need to examine my heart and see if I've got any unrepentant sin, it'll be all right. God can increase the pain in your life. We see that with the Israelites as it starts to get to Egyptian proportions, as it starts to get to the pain level gets to what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's increasing levels of pain that is coming to the Israelites. And that could happen to your life. You think you're in trouble now. Just keep going about your life without repenting and see what God can do. And ultimately, if you do not repent of your sin, what does God say in verse 12? Prepare to meet your God. Eventually, God will compel you to return to him, to see him face to face at the throne of judgment on judgment day. It is worth returning to God to reduce the levels of pain that may be coming into your life, but also so that on judgment day, he protects you rather than punishes you for all eternity. And then even if God is not punishing you because of a particular sin, even if suffering is coming into your life, it's always good to turn to him. Remember I said that we can suffer in an innocent fashion, not that we're ever completely innocent. We, are, we have original sin and we commit actual sin. God never treats us as our sins deserve. But we can suffer and we don't know the direct link between our suffering and the, pain, uh, the sin that we've committed. If that happens and we examine our life and we can't find any sin that we need to repent of, it's still good to turn more to the Lord. We may not find something that's obvious, but it's good to come to the Lord in more faithful prayer, in more faithful worship of him with his people, and to love our neighbour increasingly more. So this is what Amos has to say to us today. When we experience pain, we should look at our lives, see if there's unrepentant sin, and turn towards him. But sadly, we can often be stubborn like the Israelites. We see the stubbornness of the Israelites there. As the pain levels increase, they do not turn to God. We can be like them or we can be like a hippopotamus. 
it's interesting, I went to um, Dubbo Zoo a few years ago with the kids, and we saw that they've got some hippos out there. And we saw the hippo show. Well, it's not a show. They just eat while we watch, and the keep, zookeeper talks. And one of the interesting things that the zookeeper talked about um, was the way that the hippos will come off out of the water, they will feed, and then go back to the water. And I was looking at these hippos, and they look very docile, uh, a bit brainless, and not harmless at all. But apparently, they're quite dangerous, is what the zookeeper started to tell us. Um, and one website, uh, I looked up some websites this week that advise about hippos, and they, this website said, hippos aren't the world's largest land mammals, but they do come pretty close. The biggest male hippos can approach three tonnes and apparently never stop growing throughout their 50-year lifespan. If you're near hippos, you're safe on land for most of the day. So generally speaking, if you're around a hippo, you're okay if you're on the land during the day. However, once the sun goes down, the hippos will come out of the water to eat. They eat an average of 150 pounds, that's about 75 kilos, of food per day. All vegetation. So they have to use their land time wisely. So they make the most of their time on land. That's not the time to stay in their territory. When they're ready to go back to where they want to enter the water, they do it instinctively and quickly. When a grazing hippo is disturbed, it is extremely dangerous to get between it and the water as it will run blindly along its path, trampling anything in its way. When confronted by a hippo on land, the best thing one can do is dive out of the way. They are very stubborn creatures when they're trying to get back to the water. They will run through anything and anyone that is in their way. It doesn't matter what hits them on the way through, they are going to get into that water hook or by crook. And that's why I say we can be like hippos. We can plough away from God through ever-increasing pain. Some sins we love so much that it doesn't matter what God, God throws on us, we will continue to plough away from him like a hippo going to water. There's illustrations of this all through the Bible of people who got warning after warning from God, not just Israelites here as a corporate group, but as individuals. King Saul was one of those people. He got warning after warning from the Lord, but he kept on ploughing away from the Lord. He kept doing wrong. And so a question for us is, are we having difficulties in our life at the moment? And could God be seeking us to pay attention to a particular sin? Or could it be that there are others in our lives who are suffering because of our sin as well? The sins of the Israelites here was having a national effect. One obvious thing in our state at the moment is the drought in New South Wales. Now, is that because of our sin? Not just the people out there and their sin, but is it because of your sin that it's actually having an, a state effect? When you read the newspapers and you read of terrible things happening in Australia, is that because of your sin, that we're not as blessed by God as we could be? And are we going to be a stubborn hippo about that sin and plough on away from God, ignoring all his warnings? What's a way that we can see that we're being stubborn like a hippopotamus? Well, are we turning to others about God-sent pain instead of towards God? Will we go to the doctor about health problems 
but we will not turn to God about our sin. Will we go to the police station about danger that we experience? But we won't go to a prayer meeting and ask people to intercede to God on our behalf. We'll go to everyone about life crises. We've got real struggle at work. I've got a real struggle with my family member. I've got a real struggle with my friend. What do you advise me? But we won't go to the elders of the church or to the scriptures and look at what we should be doing. We're like a hippo ploughing away. As the pain gets worse, we just keep pushing through. Ploughing away from the Lord. If that is you, if you know of a particular sin right now that springs up into your mind, that you have been committing, and you also recognise that you've been experiencing some pain from God, how much more pain are you going to endure before you turn to God in repentance about that sin? How much more national pain do you want to see coming as a result of that sin? How many more personal health scares do you want? How many more financial problems, work and family issues can God put into your life before you will repent of that sin that you cherish so much? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody around you who you know is stubborn. You see calamity after calamity coming into their life and they will just not turn to God. What he says here again and again, they have not returned to me. They have not returned to me. Are you going to stand idly by as Amos could have and not say anything? As God pounds them with sledgehammer blow after sledgehammer blow to get them to return to him, you're not going to say anything, say, do you think all the pain that keeps coming into your life might be because you're neglecting your creator? You're not worshipping the one who made you? Do you think that's a possibility? And how much more pain do you want to take from God before you will return to him? We can be very stubborn, like hippos, ploughing, barrelling away, to the water. No matter what pain comes their way, they will push through it. We can be like that when it comes to our sin. But what we should be is stubborn like hippos in going to Jesus Christ. We should run to Christ like a hippo to water. No matter what comes our way, we should stubbornly barrel away towards him. And every twinge of pain is like a rider's crop hitting us to move us closer to Jesus Christ. We remember that God is a loving and gracious God. And even when we're in pain, there's strokes from a loving God towards us. It's wonderful that God actually sends pain into our life. Why? So we don't get into increasingly more sin. We actually get a reminder, I've got to turn back to the Lord. I've got to keep examining my life for unrepentant sin. And it's a wonderful thing that God sends pain into our lives so that we return to him so that we don't meet him on judgment day unprepared. That's what it says there in verse 12. Prepare to meet your God. If you experience no pain in your life, there was unending bliss in this world, would you repent of your sin and be prepared to meet your God? But if you understand that God is a loving and gracious God and so he sends pain into your life, then you will love to return to him because you know that even by the strokes from him that he sends your way. There's strokes of love towards you. 
And so I encourage you this morning, don't be a hippo and stubbornly go towards sin, no matter what pain God sends your way. But instead, stubbornly go to Jesus Christ. Love God no matter what comes your way. You'll read the Bible, you'll pray, you'll worship with his people, you'll love your neighbour as yourself because you love him who loved you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. And God won't say, as he says here about the Israelites, yet you have not returned to me, yet you have not returned to me, yet you have not returned to me. He will say of you, yet they always return to me. You always return to me. Whenever I sent pain into your life, you returned to me. You kept on coming back to me. And so rather than being filled with dread by verse 12, you're filled with delight. What does verse 12 and verse 13 say? It says, Therefore this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now this verse has been preached again and again throughout church history as a warning of judgment, and rightly so. But for the Christian who is prepared to meet his God, he is delighted by this verse. And verse 13 is not a scary thing for him to hear. It's a wonderful thing for him to hear. I am going to meet my God one day who forms the mountains, creates the wind and reveals his thoughts to man. Who, he who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I am prepared to meet you. I'm not scared. Because I have returned to you. You allowed me to repent. You gave me the gift of repentance to turn to you. And I've taken it with both hands. And I love you dearly. And so I sing that song that Featherstone wrote, that great hymn. It says, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. All the follies of sin, I resign. I repent of them. My gracious Redeemer, my Saviour art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Verse 12 doesn't strike the Christian with dread because he is prepared. He's prepared in the robes of righteousness that Jesus has bestowed upon him. And I encourage you, if you do not have those robes of righteousness on you now, put them on quick as you can. Come to him in repentance. Say you're sorry for your sin. Turn to him. Use the pain that he sends to your life to encourage you to turn to him, to pursue him as a hippo pursues the water. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who warns and punishes his people for their good. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond to all pain that you bring into our lives by turning to you and loving you more and more. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to shun sin, to shun the desires that we have within us that want to worship other gods, the desire to hate our neighbour and not love our neighbour as ourself. But instead, O oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to stubbornly cling to you, to worship you, to love you, and love our neighbour as ourself. And so that we are said by yourself to be your good and faithful servants, and that we long to meet you on that glorious last day. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.